I am so glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. We're glad, We're glad you're, you're here. here. I am so glad that you're here today. I'm glad you're here. We're glad you're here. There's a lot going on in the world, and through it all, we want to make a place for you to come as you are explore faith and find hope in Jesus. We believe that you were made on purpose for a purpose, and that the greatest fulfillment of your purpose is found in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So we invite you to join us on our journey of following Christ together. There's always a next step with Jesus, and we want to help you take the journey and take someone with you along the way. Normally, we've met at Regal Cinemas, but for now, we're blessed to be able to gather online. In our service today, we'll have a time of singing, encouraging message, and our connect groups where we will talk about how to live out the message we've just heard. So we invite you this morning to participate with us as we worship God through it all. Welcome to Joy Church. Good morning and welcome. I invite you to worship with us this morning. Here we go. Sing, I was buried. I was buried beneath my shame. Who could carry that kind away? It was my tomb till I made you. 
Welcome to Joy Church Online. Hey, what we're doing right now is called worship. This singing and expressing our emotions through song. We're reflecting back some of that goodness that God has poured out in our lives back to Him. 
And listen, I, I know that sometimes it's hard to engage via live stream. Maybe you're watching on your phone or a computer or your TV. Um, if you're like at our house, we've got kids running around uh, when service is going on. And uh, it can be a little hard to engage. But I just want to encourage you to lean in with intentionality into this moment. Because God wants to do something special and unique. You know, one of the things that I believe as a Christian, I've been a Christian for a very long time and really been in church uh, almost every single Sunday since the day I became a Christian. And I, I really believe this, that there's not just another Sunday. Um, anytime you get to meet with God, anytime you get to be in His presence is a momentous occasion. And that's what this is right now. So let's just lean in as a church. Let's lean in wherever you are, whoever you are, and participate right now. Father, we welcome you in this place. Let your Holy Spirit pour out on every heart, every soul. God, we want to receive what you want to do inside of us, Lord, and we want to give you our praise and our worship. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's keep worshiping.
What a great time in worship, man. I love being in the presence of the Lord. And uh, you know, you don't have to just limit your time in the presence of God to Sunday morning when we sing a couple songs. You can get some worship music on. You can open up the scripture. You can connect with God in your devotions every day, every morning. I would encourage you to do that. Last night, I I sat down at the keyboard and I I played uh, just some music and just spent a couple of of moments, uh, 15, 20 minutes in the presence of God in worship. And it's so refreshing and encouraging. And it's our lifeline to be in the presence of God. So what a wonderful time in worship. It's so good to be with you guys. Hey, just like every Sunday, you you probably know the drill, but I'll say it again. We are not just a church of spectators. We're a church of participants. And so one of the ways we engage with that value that we have to be a part and be participating as the church, because we are the church. We don't go to church. We are the church is we've got connect groups right after service today. You go to joyeugene.com slash live. You can jump into a connect group, discuss the message, and help each other follow Jesus better. I want to challenge you to be a part. Don't neglect it. Don't, don't say, oh, I'll get to it another time. Engage with this, and you're going to see the fruit in your life as you're following Jesus. Uh, Wednesday nights at 6.30, we've got church in the park, and I really have been so blessed and excited to see so many of you there. And those of you that are able to come, I would encourage you to be a part. We're socially distancing. We're following all the regulations that are in place. And it, but it's just a wonderful time to actually worship in the same physical location and space as others. And so I want to encourage you to be there. Church in the Park at Emerald Park, 6.30 p.m. this Wednesday. It's not even hot, guys. Like we went last week when it was a 100, 100 degree day or 90 degree day, it was like 80 and just beautiful in the shade and wonderful. So awesome time being there. Uh, at this point, we have our, our privilege and honor of engaging God and worshiping God through our giving. And as a church, we are generous. It's one of our values. We're a generous church. We love to give to the Lord and return to Him the tithe and the offerings and express our worship and appreciation and gratitude to God through our giving. But one of the cool things that comes from that is that we're able to help churches and organizations all over our community, but also around the world advance the kingdom and the mission of God. So we're going to show you guys a video of our partner church in Oradia, Romania, and uh, a wonderful place there, and Pastor Ted and Mona Chichui and our wonderful dear friends. So Pastor Ted has a special message for us as a church, and we're going to watch that right now. Hello, greetings from Romania, Joy Church. We bless you in the name of Jesus Christ. We want to thank you so much for your generosity and uh, for your love toward us, toward the, the nation of Romania. Uh, thank you for helping 
spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to the people living in this nation, Romanian, Hungarian, Jesus. All right. Hey, sorry about that. Looks like we're having a little bit of a technical difficulty. You know, it's hard when a video travels all the way from Romania. It's really tired. And so it kind of stutters a little bit and has trouble. So, hey, I know you want to see Pastor Ted's message. We're going to get that working for you guys. What we're going to do is we're going to post that message from him. Uh, He's saying thank you for the help we've given them as a church and what they've been able to do through this season and time in Romania. We're going to get that posted up on our Joy uh, Church Eugene public Facebook group and the Dream Team. We'll get that posted today and uh, have that available for you guys to walk, but uh, to watch. Um, but, you know, again, we have been able to help so many churches and help expand the kingdom of God and support the kingdom of God around the world. So I want to thank you for your generosity. Hey, right now, let's go ahead and, and go to our time of giving. You can go to joyeugene.com give. You can do text to give, giving online. You can mail checks. The address for the church is there uh, at joyeugene.com give. Let me go ahead and pray for the offering at this time. Father, I thank you so much for all the wonderful, generous people, Lord, that call Joy Church home. And we thank you, Lord, that you have been, as we sang in the song today, so, so good to us. And one of those areas of your goodness is the financial provision, Lord. You take care of every one of our needs. You take care of our finances. You are our source. So we return to you that which is yours, and we honor you and worship you in our giving. Bless the gift today. Bless the givers. And we give you this time in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. I can't hear you, but I know you're, you're saying it right there along with me uh, wherever you are. So, so good to be together. Well, guys, we're going to jump into the message right now. And as you know, we've recently started a series on worldview called War of the Worldviews. And very quickly, worldview is not what is actually real, but it's how we perceive or how we observe and interact with that which is around us. And our worldview is like lenses that we see through that impacts everything we think, that we believe, and that we do. So it's not what we see, but it's how we see it. And it's critical to our life as followers of Jesus. And if you're watching today and you're not a follower of Jesus, I I believe this message will encourage you and get you to think about the potential of your worldview. What is actually coloring your lenses of life that you see through and how that impacts everything you think, believe, and do. But before we jump into the message today, I want to just say again that worldview really matters. And I'll give you a quick story about this. Because worldview, again, is like lenses that allows us to see reality. It allows us to perceive that which is around us. And I remember years and years ago when my dad discovered that his physical eyesight was declining. Now, like any great man uh, or any normal man, let's say that, uh, we always want to fight if anything's wrong. You know, a man can have half of his leg, you know, removed or something and still be trying to run around thinking, I'm fine, I'm fine, Right. Uh, guys, we play football. We have two concussions. We can't see straight. We can't count to four. But we're like, put me in the game, coach, right? So we deny that we have a problem. So my dad uh, was, was denying that he needed glasses, right? He just didn't want to go that direction. And so one day, uh, there was a rooster that was attacking us on the ranch we lived at. Yes, those of you that know I don't love nature, this is why, because I lived on a ranch growing up for a couple of years. Actually, it was wonderful. But this rooster, we called him Rojo. Uh, he, he was mean. Uh, he was really mean. I think he'd been one of those fighting roosters, you know, uh, maybe in his past. And he needed redemption. So, but we decided we're not going to redeem him. We're going to eat him. So we were going to kill the rooster, put it in a pot, have chicken soup or whatever. Well, my dad gets a 22 rifle. 
and this rooster's running around in this back acre uh, where it was a fenced acre. The rooster's running around, and he took about 100 shots. People thought it was clue number one, okay? Eventually, he, I think, on accident, he shot a bullet, and the rooster ran and intersected the bullet, and it died, and then it tasted horrible because it was a mean, you know, tough, nasty rooster. But anyways, at that same time, we were driving this old red beat-up Ford pickup truck, and I was riding in the right-hand side of, you know, in the passenger seat of this bench seat in this old truck, and we were in White's. We're driving by some lumber mills, and there was these really deep ditches. I mean, I'm talking like really deep, 10, 15 feet deep, kind of a shallow curve in, covered with, uh, with gravel. And we're driving along the road there, and there was a cone or something where my dad had to pull over into the shoulder a little bit, but there was plenty of room for a vehicle to go. But again, Mr. Denying He Needed Glasses went too far, and all of a sudden, all I remember as a little kid is that I was kind of leaning on the window of the truck as it was nearly flipped over. And I remember I was still playing with, I think I had like a Ninja Turtle and He-Man action figure. So this puts you in the right time frame uh, for me as a kid, like late 80s, maybe, uh, maybe, maybe early 90s. And I remember that, and, and it was just very, it wasn't violent in any way, but we were just kind of like this. And if you realize that's not how you're supposed to be in a car, right? And it was these two events that finally got my dad to realize, I think I need to go get glasses. Now, Moral of the story, guys, listen to your wife. Go get glasses. If she's saying you need them, just go. Go and get your eyes checked. No, what, it, what, what the thing is about this is that worldview are like the lenses that we view life with, and it really matters because if you don't see correctly, you're going to end up in a ditch, not physically necessarily, but in your life. You're going to end up off course. Though you think you see the road, though you think you see the rooster, you're missing it, and you're going to end up in trouble. Worldview matters. Having an accurate worldview is critical as we live our lives. We need a worldview that gives us an accurate representation of that which is and has explanatory power for our experience of life within this universe that we call home. And our worldview has to explain everything about life. It can't just explain the physical reality, but leave out the emotional, the intellectual, the philosophical, the spiritual. It has to grab hold of the entire breadth and depth of life. And so worldview really matters. Now, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we desire to see the world and ourselves and others as God has actually created it to be, right? And in Isaiah, we've gone through this verse a couple of times, but God says to his people, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. My ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God sees differently than we do. We think, man, I see everything perfectly. I'm accurate. My lenses are good. I don't need glasses. No, you do. You need correction. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Rome, he says, look, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. In other words, don't think like, oh, I see the same way as everybody else around me, so it must be right. He says, no, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. You could insert this word here by, by giving you lens correction, helping you think differently, see the world differently to see it like God sees it. And Paul says, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So all of us need an upgrade. Regardless of if you're a follower of Jesus today, or you're somebody who's exploring faith, or you're somebody who might even be hostile to faith and not understand or, or even disbelieve actively in Christianity or all faith, wherever you are, all of us can get an upgrade in our worldview and see the world with more accuracy. Now, as we've been going through in this series, we've been going through what I call the, the big three, the big three questions, the fundamental questions that every worldview has to answer. And very quickly, these are number one, what is real? Number two, what is true? 
Number three, what is right. What is real, we covered this last week, and I'd encourage you to go back and watch that message. Every worldview has to give an explanation for why there is something rather than nothing. Why in the universe is there actually something here rather than nothing here? And what is the nature of reality? Now, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, I believe what Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. For me, God is, as Aristotle put it, the unmoved mover, that first fact upon which all things uh, originate from. God is himself a spirit. He is not, he is not uh, uh, bound by the laws of nature, but he created the laws of nature, set them in motion, and that is why the universe is rational, intelligible, even as we talk about the physical world, the laws of science, and so on and so forth. So we talked about that question last week, but over the next uh, couple of weeks, starting today, we're going to go deeply into question number two, the question of truth. If you really want to get geeky, this is the question of epistemology, how we know what we know, the nature of knowledge and the nature of truth. How do we determine the difference between, between something being true and something being false, right? What is true? The question of truth and knowledge. Now, this is an absolutely critical question because this is the primary battlefield in the world today when it comes to worldviews. Uh, historically, when it was uh, before postmodernism kind of came on the scene, the, the nature of the debate was really on question number one, what is real? There was that sort of stark divide between theists and atheists saying, okay, is there a God? Let's look for rational proof of God or rational uh, uh, defeating arguments for, for the existence of God. But the battlefield has sort of shifted to this, this uh, area of epistemology, the nature of truth. And this is where the battlefield is. And it's so critical because this question, the truth question, is the linchpin that holds all three of these questions together. What is real? And then the question that comes after, what is right? The question of morality, it all hinges upon our view of truth. And so this question of truth is how do we know anything at all? How do we even believe and trust in our thoughts. And I read you that quote last week from C.S. Lewis where he said, if my thoughts are just random chemical reactions happening in my brain, atoms and chemicals sort of reacting, why do I trust my thoughts to be a reflection of reality, right? And, and this is, every worldview has to answer this question, how do we know anything at all? Now, the Christian worldview says this, we believe in the laws of logic, we believe in, in reason and intelligibility within our thought processes in this universe because there is a lawgiver, there is a creator, there is an intelligent designer who designed our minds to be able to objectively react to and relate to uh, reality in, in this area of truth. So we believe in the laws of logic because of a lawgiver, okay? So this question is so vital for all of us, again, regardless of where you are in the spectrum of faith, you're a believer, you are a skeptic, you are a searcher, you're a seeker, or you're an unbeliever, every worldview has to answer this question and make sense of reason and rationality and make sense of truth. <clears throat> now, I want to be clear that for those of us that are followers of Jesus, truth is an irreducibly important thing because without truth, there is no Christian faith. And I want to be very clear about this. You can't have a Christian faith that is partially true and kind of true, but not really true, uh, true for you, but not true for me, that type of a thing, it doesn't work because the Christian faith is predicated on objective truth and reality. Faith is not fantasy. We believe in a real God, a real Jesus, a real resurrection, and, and Christ's real return. We believe that there was a historical fall. We believe in the historical uh, truth of the Christian narrative. We believe these things. If you're a Christian and you don't believe that or you've been shaken in these areas, you need to search them out 
and actually answer these questions because without truth, you have no real faith. Christian faith is intertwined with the the idea of, of absolute truth in reality. We believe in objective moral absolutes. Let me be very clear about this and say this again. We believe in objectively true moral absolutes. Things are actually right. Things are actually wrong. Doesn't mean we always perfectly do the right thing or the wrong thing, even when we know it. But we do believe that truth is a category, even in this area of morality. And we do believe that all worldviews are not objectively equal or good. Two weeks ago, I talked about contrasting the worldview of Adolf Hitler against the worldview of Winston Churchill. And I want you to honestly assess if you think, well, there is no such thing as truth. It's true for me, true for you. It's relative. If you really think that, do you really believe that Hitler's worldview was relatively better for him and Churchill's was relatively better for him? Or do you think that objectively Winston Churchill, even though he wasn't a perfect person, had a better worldview than Hitler? Okay. And I want you to just think about that question. Moving forward into this truth, truth question, as human beings, a shared experience of truth is what allows us to interact and communicate as human beings. It's like us having a standard by which we can communicate with one another. And if we can't agree on what's true, then what's, uh, what's true or false will never agree upon what's right or wrong. And this is why this is a battlefield. Why are people so divided in the area of ethics and morality and the operation of, of uh, our humanity as we live as citizens of a political uh, spectrum and we live as citizens of this world? <clears throat> Why is there so much disagreement in the area of morality? It's because there's a disagreement about what's true and false. And if we can't agree on what's true and false, we can't agree on what's right and wrong. Because truth is this linchpin in the middle of these three questions. What is real? What is true? What is right? And they all interact and support one another. But truth is sort of the key that unlocks this. And it's a, it's a critical area. I want to jump into the scriptures here and give a scripture that I think is so uh, impactful and prophetic even speaking of our day and age right now. In Isaiah chapter 59, again, this is an ancient writing, but I believe it just, it it speaks so eloquently and uh, perfectly into the situation we find ourselves in today. Isaiah 59 verse 14 says, justice is turned back and righteousness stands afar off for truth is fallen in the street. I want you to imagine that truth is this embodiment, this person, right? And, and truth is laying in the road, okay? Truth is on the sidewalk or in the middle of the street, fallen. Equity cannot enter. Verse 15, so truth fails and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. What Isaiah is describing here is a world that's gone mad, a world that I believe looks a lot like what we are experiencing today, where good is bad, bad is good, up is down and down is up, and nobody knows what's right or wrong because we can't agree on truth. And when we lose sight of objective epistemological reality, we we lose sight, we become unmoored, and we have no basis by which to rationally talk to each other about that which is right and wrong. And this is where we find ourselves, that when truth falls in the street, when truth is cast down, justice also falls. When truth falls, justice fails. When truth falls, justice fails. This is a picture of our world today. When we can't agree on what's true, then the application of right and wrong becomes terribly confused. And this is why the truth question matters so much. You can't ignore this. We can't just run the other way and go, oh, well, you know, I don't want to get in a fight. Christians, let me speak to you right now. We are in right now a battle intellectually with various worldviews. And you go, well, I don't want to be in a battle. I want to love everybody like Jesus loves everybody. You can't love people if you can't actually have a real conversation about what is true and what is false. 
There are objectively good views and objectively wrong ones, and we've got to be able to engage with one another. If you're a person watching this and you go, man, I'm not a Christian, so what are you talking about? Let me tell you right now, your capacity to have a discussion with a Christian or with anyone else is based on this idea that there is a rational, intelligible creator at work who made the universe work this way so that we can actually engage with each other in this area and have reasonable conversations. But we can't just ignore this truth question and go, oh, well, I'm just going to ignore it. I don't want to fight with people. I don't want to get in arguments. That's fine. You can be a peacemaker, but you can't run away from the truth question. Now, let me jump in real quick. I want to get into some of the meat of this message today. And I want to cover today five lies about truth. Five lies about truth, okay? Five lies that people believe, five lies that people engage with, five lies that you, one of these, you've probably maybe not said it explicitly, but you've bought into it and engaged in this way of thinking and become disconnected from objective truth. Lie number one is this, that truth is unknowable. Now, you don't see this on Facebook. People don't necessarily make a post and go, well, we can't really know truth at all, although people say things similar to that. But this is an implied idea. This is an implied feeling that we really can't know what's true. There's no way to know. And right now in the world, it's so confusing because there's, there's false, biased news reporting. We get all the facts, but we don't get the truth. You hear what I'm saying right now? We might get all the facts. You might, well, this is what happened. The president did this, and the, the Democrats did this, and the Republicans, and these people did that. And you know what? It might all be factual, but there's a bias, a cognitive worldview bias that's putting a shift on that, and you're not getting the truth. You're getting facts, but you're not getting the truth. I want you to be aware of that. But there's this idea where we lose confidence, and this is a, a, a massive idea when it comes to being a postmodern thinker, where most of us, uh, we kind of live in this world, a postmodern world, that's rejected that things are objectively true. People will kind of feel this lack of confidence that truth is even knowable at all. But according to the Christian worldview, we, as image bearers of God, have the capacity of reason, and we live in an intelligible universe because it was created by an intelligent designer. Therefore, truth is actually discoverable and knowable. Truth about the natural world when it comes to science and the particulars of the physical universe, and truth about the human experience, including ethics and morality and epistemology, the way we know. Okay? Because truth is knowable, we then have a responsibility to search it out and respond to it. Do not just say, oh, truth is unknowable, so I'm just going to you know, turn my brain off. I'm just going to run away and hide because it's uncomfortable to discover truth. Because we believe that truth is knowable, we are responsible to know it. We are responsible. Jesus said, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I want to encourage you not to just buy into a political or a social or a cultural view of truth and abandon the search because you are uncomfortable or it's hard work. I want to encourage you to lean in and search for the truth because the truth will actually set you free. This is good. I know you're saying amen if that's something you do. According to the Christian worldview, we can know truth, and we know it in two different ways. And I'm going to go into this in greater length in a future message. But we can know truth both propositionally, which is propositions about truth, statements about truth, through the scriptures, and we know truth personally through a relationship with Jesus via the Holy Spirit. It is on the basis of these two foundations, the propositional nature of truth through Scripture and the personal nature of truth through a relationship with Christ, that, that on the basis of these two foundations that we interact with all truth, that we interact with all knowledge and interact with all of the, of the uh, 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 media that comes to us from the world. As it has been said in the past, all truth is God's truth. 
So we start from a position of knowing God through the scriptures and a relationship with Christ, but that allows us to interact in truth with everything around us. Now, what this means is that we have uh, what we need via the scriptures, and we have what we need via a relationship with Jesus to know God, to experience salvation, and to understand this capacity to reason and discover truth about the world. But what it doesn't mean is that the Bible is a science textbook that will tell you how to cure COVID-19. The Bible is a science textbook that tells you that the universe is 6,000 years old. It might be, but the Bible actually doesn't give an answer to that question because it's not even purporting to do that, okay? The Bible is truth that is, gives you enough to understand who God is, who you are, your place in the universe, and your capacity to reason. And yes, it has a lot of truth about science, but it's not purporting to be a scientific textbook. It doesn't mean it's unscientific. It's just simply not the point of it. It's like me reading a history book and going, well, this doesn't teach me math. Well, yeah, because it's not the point. But there, there, there are connections, foundations there. And so when we look at this, knowing truth propositionally and knowing truth personally, we can know things actually, if not exhaustively. So there's this thought right now that people go, well, you're not an expert in this, so you can't speak into this area. Well, yes, you can. Every human has the ability to speak and know and understand truth actually, if not exhaustively. Every one of us gets in our car on Monday morning and drives to work, but very few of us know the internal workings of the engine. There is the capacity as a human being to engage in this area of truth and actually see things actually, even if not exhaustively, on the basis of this reasonable universe and how God has made you to be. Okay, I'm going a little deep down the rabbit hole here, but hopefully this is helpful to you. The Bible provides us the framework, this view of truth, propositional and personal, gives us a framework by which we are able to engage with the physical, rational, and moral universe around us. So, lie number one, truth is unknowable, myth busted. Truth is not unknowable. Might be, it might be obfuscated, it might be unclear, it might be biased coming from another source, but it is knowable. And we need to understand that as Christians and make it our duty and our responsibility to search it out and to celebrate truth. The truth sets people free. Lie number, tr- lie number two is this. Truth is individual. And this is a huge one right now, isn't it? We hear this all the time. You probably believe this and you probably kind of implied this in the way you've lived, perhaps. Truth is individual. Well, I have my truth and you have your truth. I see things this way. We turn truth not into a category of objective reality, but into a palette of decisions, of of subjective. Now, are there things that are subjectively true in the world? Yes. If somebody says, I prefer strawberry ice cream, and I say, I prefer chocolate peanut butter, who's objectively right? Well, I am, of course. Chocolate peanut butter is better. No, I'm having fun. That's a statement of subjectivity. But if I say, uh, you know, I am both here but not here, that is objectively false, okay? So there are areas that truth is a category that is absolute. It's not individual. According to the Christian worldview, truth is not determined by the individual, but rather corresponds to independent reality, that being the world which God made. And because of this, it is possible to be actually right or wrong. It is possible to be actually correct or incorrect. Things are actually true or false. Worldviews are actually either correct and accurate of the way the world is, or they aren't. And you know what? People get really offended when you say, hey, I don't think your worldview is accurately describing the full length and depth and breadth of the universe we call home. That is very taboo in our culture because we're very conflict-averse in some ways, 
whenever we, we make a statement of absolute truth, we become very relativistic and very sort of uh, hands-off in those areas. But we need to get back to this ability to lovingly engage with one another because real tolerance is based on the ability to actually disagree about that which is real or, or uh, which is true or false, okay? Because when you get rid of any, any conversation about the, the objective truth or reality of something, you remove the ability to have any communication or conversation about it whatsoever. So things are actually true or false. Truth is not just individual. It's not just a matter of perspective or feeling. Now that's uncomfortable, but it's reality. Now I want you to draw some conclusions. I don't want to get banned from Facebook by saying things that uh, are too controversial. So I'm going to let you draw some conclusions. But we have some things, uh, objective scientific reality, and people are right now in our culture and society saying, no, well, I identify as such or such a thing. No, I feel this. I feel like this. And so therefore, okay, let me just give you a newsflash. You can't change objective reality based on your feeling. Truth is true or it's false. Now, just because you know that doesn't mean you're not a huge jerk. So if you're a Christian and you're being a jerk to people, that doesn't make you morally good or right. But the reality is truth is objective. It's not individual. Lie number three. Lie number three. Truth is relative, right? Truth is relative. It changes based on circumstances. So truth is a moving target, right? Truth, but here's the reality. Truth does not change. Our perspective of truth can change. We can get a better perspective and we can get more accuracy, okay, based on new information, but that only reveals that which actually is or was. In other words, when I discover something and I go, hey, this is a new truth, it's not a new truth. It was always true. It's just new to me, okay? Truth is not relative. The Christian worldview presupposes absolute truth. In other words, truth is this, there's an equal amount of it and I, as a, as a being in this universe, I'm either getting closer to truth and getting more enlightened about truth or I'm getting farther away from it, but I don't create truth. It doesn't change. It's not relative. It's already there. And when I have revelation, I am discovering or uncovering that which already is. Now, I want you to understand historically that the great scientific breakthroughs that came through came from men and women who actually believed that there was intelligibility and rationality behind the universe. Therefore, they expected that when they moved away the obfuscation of the lack of, of knowledge and they moved away ignorance, that they would actually find pattern and design because they had this view of truth. Truth is absolute. It's not relative. Okay, lie number four. Lie number four is this, that truth is social. This is a big one right now. Truth is determined by the majority. If enough people think or believe something, it must be true. If all my friends on Instagram and Facebook are saying this one thing and everybody is chanting this thing and we're all going this direction, it must be true. No, that's a lie. Truth is not social. It's not individual, but it's not social. It's not determined by the individual, but it's also not determined by the mob, by the crowd. Even if everyone in the world believes something, that does not change whether it's actually true or false. And that goes for the Christian faith itself. I want you to understand that this is applied to the Christian worldview. Faith isn't true because you believe it. So a lot of Christians are like, it doesn't matter if it's true or false, I just believe. That's not biblical faith. That's called being, that's called being fantasy land. Now you could have a saving faith in Christ and still have that view, but you need to upgrade your worldview and actually know what you believe and why you believe it and moor it to historical reality and truth. It's up to you to discover whether it's true or not. So it's not the majority. The majority says this. This is a big one that we fight in our culture. Well, this thing is legal, therefore it's true, therefore it's moral. No, legality and morality are different things, different categories. Uh, the mob, the crowd, the, the majority does not determine that which is true. Lie number five. Lie number five. And we're getting ready to land the airplane, guys. 
Truth is interchangeable. I can mix and match. I can build my own spirituality. Man, I talk to so many people in our wonderful, beautiful, incredible community. One of the things I love about Eugene is that we are a spiritual city, okay? This is not a city where people are like uh, not caring at all about their spirituality. I talk to lots of people in Eugene who aren't Christians and even people who are Christians. And one of the things that I hear though in this mix uh, or in the city is this mixing of like, well, yeah, like Jesus is cool. He's like a great prophet. He was like really, he's like his love and like the thing he did where he like cast the bad people out of the temple was cool. But like Buddha's cool and like, man, I, but I like my girlfriend and I were like uh, together and then I like drugs. I mean, like it's this whole mix of all kinds of stuff. And the problem is, Christianity is this very exclusive truth. People want to love Jesus. Like, man, he's so, he's so inclusive. No, he, he's really not. <laughs> he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And every one of us as human beings, when we face up with Jesus, we have to decide, do I accept him as truth or do I take my own interchangeable, build my own God, build my own faith, build my own spirituality? It's like going to Build-A-Bear. You go to Build-A-Bear if you want to do customization, but you can't come to Christ and do customization. Truth must be internally consistent and logically sound. We, we can't mix divergent worldviews that do not fit. You cannot be an atheist and a Christian. Those things don't coagulate. They don't cohere, okay? There is actually a division that comes. Now, again, real love and tolerance can accept a difference of opinion. You have every right to disbelieve in Christ. You have every right to believe that my worldview is wrong, but we can't take and borrow from each other's worldview and find common ground when it is in the area of nonsense. You can't pick and choose from competing systems. So truth is not interchangeable. Okay, so these are five lies that I believe all of us need to face up with. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, you need to look at these and go, okay, where am I kind of falling into these areas and kind of getting caught in the quicksand? Because these things are going to take you down and distort your worldview. Now, I want to finish with a quick story and personalize this and take this, take this to a, a place where we have to respond to it. Uh, those of us that are familiar with the story of Jesus, we know that he went and faced the Roman curate or governor of Judea, a man named Pontius Pilate. And in John 18, we have a vignette into this moment where Jesus stands before Pontius Pilate and Pontius Pilate's wife had come and told him, hey, I had a dream about this guy, like he's innocent, don't, don't mess with him. And Pontius is like, uh, Pilate's in a, in a, in a, in a bind because he, he's, Jesus has come before him. And so he, he realizes Jesus is not guilty. He's not a revolutionary. He's not a bad guy. But the Jewish authorities and leaders at this time, they wanted Jesus dead. So this is where we kind of jump into the story. Pilate goes back into the palace, verse 33 of John 18, summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? This is an important question because he wants to pin something on Jesus. If he can get some kind of dirt on him, get him to like step out of line, take a political side or whatever, then he can, he can do what he needs to do. Jesus responds, is that your own idea? Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest. But now my kingdom is from another place. Oh, you are a king then, said Pilate. And Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And this famous line, Pilate says, what is truth? What is truth? Now, when this has been studied out by linguists and scholars, 
he's not asking Jesus a sincere question. He's being dismissive. It's called Pilate's jest. He's like, what is truth? What is it? With this, he went out again to the Jews, gathered there, and said, I find no basis for a charge against him, but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? He's talking about Jesus. They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. Barabbas was a revolutionary murderer. Pilate ends up fighting back and forth a little bit, but he washes his hands and eventually posts the, the, you know, the, the sign, king of the Jews, above Jesus, and he has him flogged. He has him beaten. He has him crucified. And an innocent man is put to death. Pilate gives his flippant answer, what is truth? And I want to remind you of the phrase that we looked at previously in today's message. When truth falls, justice fails. Because Pilate was dismissive of whether truth mattered or not, he was comfortable to just live in his own definition of truth. For Pilate, truth is about politics. It's about power. It's about, are you a king? Are you not a king? Who do I answer to? What is politically expedient? What's the best way for me to keep myself comfortable and my position safe? He's dismissing it here. Even though he knows Jesus is innocent, he eventually bows to this pressure. And when truth falls, justice fails. And so I would submit to you again today that for each of us as human beings, we are either complicit with injustice or we stand with truth. Listen to what I just said. We are either complicit with injustice. We, we want justice to fail if we, will, if we will fail in the area of truth because these are interconnected and intertwined. Pilate just says, what is truth? If you're a person, you're listening to this, and you go, oh, what is truth? I'm a Christian, but people want to do this. They want to go this direction. And what is truth? No, no. What you're doing is you're complicit in the same spirit and the same mindset that allowed an innocent man, Jesus, to, to die. Now, aren't we glad that Jesus was crucified? Yes, we are, because he was willingly going to the cross to be the sacrifice. But at the same moment, he was in this whole irony of this is that though Jesus was willingly taking on the injustice of this world, he himself was suffering the injustice that all of us experience when truth falls. And so all of us have to answer this question, what is truth? And we all have to face the reality of Christ before us. Jesus Christ is on trial before every one of us each moment of our lives. And we all have to answer this question, what will I do with Jesus? So as we finish today, I want to encourage you that we search out truth. We don't believe these lies, that truth is unknowable, that truth is just individual, that truth is relative and it changes, that truth is social, I go with the crowd, or that truth is interchangeable and I put it together how I want. That's not how truth is. Truth is absolute. The Christian faith either is true or it's not. And it's up to each of us to look at Jesus and say, what is truth? And pursue until we find that truth. Now, I believe that if you're an honest skeptic, if you have honest doubt, God is not intimidated by honest doubt. If you're a believer, God is not intimidated by your honest doubts. But it is on each of us to respond to this question, what is truth, and search it out and press in for ourselves. Now, as we get ready to close today, I know that for many people, they, maybe you haven't thought through all of these issues, or maybe you have, but you at this point in your life are ready to say, you know what? I know that Jesus uh, died on the cross for my sins. I believe that actually happened, and I want to receive that wonderful spiritual reality and wonderful reality of what he did for me. And right now is a moment for you to be able to put your faith and trust in Christ. And if that's you, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I confess my sin to you. I know that I've not lived up to your standard. And Lord, I've let lies guide my life. 
and I've let truth fall and therefore justice has failed and I've committed injustice and I've been the victim of injustice. But I today stand with truth and I confess you as my Lord and Savior. I put my faith and trust in you and I ask you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. Give me the grace to follow you as your disciple and be part of your family. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. Hey, if you prayed that prayer today, I want you to just take one small step of faith. Text the word DECIDED to 541-229-8848. Just a simple step of faith. We're going to help you follow Jesus. Take the next step on your journey. If you're new to Joy Church and you want to get connected to this awesome, incredible community, then I want to encourage you to text the word HOME to 541-229-8848. You guys, we have connect groups right now. Uh, Wednesday night at the park, 630 Emerald Park. God bless you. Have a wonderful Sunday. Hey, Joy Church, Connect Groups are happening right now, and here's how to join one. It's super easy. If you're watching on our website, just scroll down to the bottom of the page. The list of groups will be right there. Tap the group you want to join, and it'll send you right on over to Zoom to join the meeting. If you're watching on Facebook or YouTube, it's really easy as well. Just go to joyeugene.com slash live. Again, scroll down to the bottom of the page and the list of groups will be right there. If you don't have the Zoom app yet, this page will pop up. Just hit the download button and it will send you on over to your phone's app store to download Zoom. If you have kids, we have a fun event for you every week. On Fridays at 7 p.m., Pastor Becca and Nathaniel go live with a kid's Bible story. And you guys, it is a lot of fun. So actually, right now, we're going to replay the video from this last Friday. So kids, stay tuned. Parents and everyone else, we got connect groups happening right now, and I'll see you there. Um, before we jump into our story, one super quick announcement. Uh, we have been doing these on Friday nights. And we are actually going to switch. So this will be our last Friday night story time. Have no fear. We are continuing to do these every single week, but we're just switching days. So instead of Friday night, we're going to do Tuesday night, and we will start uh, this coming Tuesday, which would be the 25th, 26th, 27th, 28th. 28th. So 28th, we will be back here, 7 p.m. for story time, and all the rest of the story times um, will be on Tuesday nights. So that is our very brief announcement. Are you ready to get into the story? Yes. Alrighty. So I better go get so in yes, my class This now. is a fun story about, we, we kind of did a teaser last week, about the most superhero of all superheroes ever. And you know what? Can you guess who it is right now? Throw it in the comments if you can guess who this super, most super duper, super, super duper, duper superhero is. We'll get started with the story right now. Hello, my name is Shirley, my hair is curly, and I'm reporting to you from Fish Network. We are here live in Jerusalem, and we have three of the biggest, most groundbreaking stories I have ever covered in my career, and we have an eyewitness to tell us all about it. Our first eyewitness is Peter. Hi! Hi Peter. That's me. I'm Peter. <laughs> yes, ma'am? So tell us what happened. Oh, okay, so yeah, we were at this like lake, and we were all in front of this lake listening to Jesus speak, and he was giving us so much wisdom, teaching us wonderful things, and... All of a sudden, I heard this sound, like like this this growling, grumbling sound, like. And I realized, whoa, we've been here for like nine hours. Everybody's getting hungry. So what happened next? 
I said, yo, Jesus, we only got five loaves and two fish, and that ain't enough to make a proper dish. These people are hungry after hearing you speak all day, so please do us a favor and send them all away. Are you, uh, rapping? <laughs> yeah, I am. <laughs> this, uh, fishing thing is like a total side gig. Hey, Toby Mac, if you're listening, give me a call. Okay, okay, so back to our story. Oh, yeah, sorry. Anyway, so, yeah, we only had five loaves and two fish, and... I was like, Jesus, this isn't near enough to feed everybody. So just, so just make them all leave. Just make them go away. Did Jesus agree with that well, decision? I mean, uh, since I'm so smart and so influential, he did not agree with me. Uh-huh. Yeah, so Jesus told us to have everybody sit in groups of 50 to 100. And wow, there was a lot of people. And I'm like, Jesus... We don't even have enough food to feed one group, let alone all 5,000 people here. And then something amazing happened. Finally, we're getting to the good stuff. No rapping, please. <laughs> we'll see about that now, won't we? Anyway, so Jesus took the bread. He broke it, and he gave thanks for it. Then he gave us all baskets of food. And, like, we started handing it out. And, like, no matter how much food we gave out, we still had food. There was just more food. And, well, at the end, we had 12 baskets left over and set aside, and everyone was satisfied. I asked myself, how many miracles can Jesus do? I was hoping he could multiply the ice cream, too. Lecrae. Oh, not again. Call me Lecrae. Well, you hear, heard it here, folks. First, Jesus multiplied the bread and fishes. He started with just a couple and fed 5,000 people. Thank you, Peter and... Uh, Please uh, stop the rapping and get off the screen before my ratings go down. Thank you very much for being my eyewitness tonight. And uh, you might want to practice some of those raps. Alrighty. So we are here at this next scene, Anna. Oh, boy. It's pretty smelly here. Um, at this next uh, story, we're going to find out what the smell is all about. So here to tell us all about it is our next eyewitness, uh... Peter. I'm back. <laughs> it's me again. Yeah. So uh, actually, um, we were just at a funeral. Oh, I'm so sorry. Was it someone close to you? Yeah. His name was Lazarus. And actually, he was this really cool dude. And he was closer to Jesus. Wow. Tell me more. Okay. So we were traveling along. And suddenly, some messenger comes up to us and says, hey, Jesus, Lazarus is sick. Please come heal him. And we're like, Jesus, Lazarus is young and healthy. I'm sure everything's okay. And Jesus was like, this will be an opportunity to glorify God's kingdom. Something like that. Some wise thing that Jesus always says. And so, like, okay. So we ended up returning a few days later. And Lazarus was dead. It sounds like Jesus missed out on an opportunity to perform a miracle. Whoa. Okay. Now, now hold on. Let me finish. Um, so we returned and we went to Lazarus's uh, funeral. And then something happened we didn't expect. Jesus started crying. Jesus, this miracle worker cried. Yeah, in fact, he wept. Jesus wept. We didn't know we'd ever see Jesus cry. We didn't know he was capable of crying. And, uh, well, then something amazing happened. And in fact, there's somebody else who got to witness this much closer than me, so I'm gonna go get him. Just one moment, please. All right, so we are 
taking a commercial break while we wait for our next eyewitness to give an account. And this show has been brought to you by Fishing Nets and Fishing Poles. If you need them, please come to Ted's Fishing Equipment on 2nd Street. And that is where you can find all of your fishing equipment for your fishing needs. And now, um, uh-oh, I'm starting to, uh, smell that bad smell again. Hopefully this next person can tell us exactly why it's so smelly here. So, um, uh, here he comes right now, uh. What's your name? Ha! Lazarus! I'm Lazarus! Oh, um... Wait, are you the one who the funeral was for? <laughs> yep, that's me. Um, did you fake your own death? No, I didn't fake my own death. Well, tell us more. What happened? <laughs> I don't remember. So you? I was dead. You died, and yeah. then? Well, I said I don't remember. I was dead, but I imagine that everyone was just crying and crying about how much they missed me. And, well, the first thing I remember is uh, hearing Jesus' voice. And he's like, Lazarus, come out. And next thing you know, I'm walking out of the grave at my own funeral. <laughs> so Jesus raised you from the dead. Yeah. I mean, I was once dead, but now I'm alive. That is incredible. And you definitely look alive, even though you, uh, you smell like death. Ooh. All right, it is time for me to wrap this story up. So uh, thank you, Lazarus. <laughs> wrap it up. I get it. <laughs> That's a funny one. Hey, Peter, no wrapping. I want to stay alive. <laughs> I said no, Peter. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are on to our third and most groundbreaking story that I personally have ever covered as a reporter. This is going to just knock all the other ones out of the water. And here to tell me about it is another eyewitness from the scene. And uh, it is uh... me again. I'm back once again. Hi, Peter. Uh, um, oh, joy. Yep, it's me. So, uh, what's your story about today? So, you see... And keep the wraps to a minimum. Okay. So, Jesus had asked a couple of us to go with him to this mountain to pray. And, uh, well, he seemed really nervous and worried, and I didn't know what was going on. And, well, actually, I kind of fell asleep. Oopsie! And Jesus got kind of mad about that. Anyway, so all of a sudden, these soldiers came and arrested Jesus. Wait, they arrested Jesus, the one who um, multiplied the loaves and fishes and raised Lazarus from the dead? Yeah, they arrested him. Like handcuffs? Yes. Wow. Well, why did they do that? Well, because these religious leaders were jealous of Jesus. Well, I'm sure that Jesus got off easy. He didn't commit a crime or anything. So I'm sure that there was no big punishment for him. Well, I mean, you are right in that Jesus didn't commit a crime. In fact, Jesus never did anything wrong. He never sinned in his entire life. He was perfect. But they sentenced Jesus to be killed upon a cross. Isn't a cross death reserved for the worst criminals? Yeah, and by 
killing Jesus that way, they associated him with the worst criminals. You see, they didn't know Jesus, and they didn't want to know Jesus. What happened next? Well, you see, you would think that Jesus would perform a miracle to escape, right? He didn't. Jesus, he let it happen. He just allowed all this to happen. He allowed himself to be brutally beaten and murdered on a cross. And um, we had to watch the whole thing. So didn't this Jesus, he used a miracle to escape, right? That's what, I mean, he just, he just performed. We just covered here on Fish News two miracles. No, Jesus let it happen. Jesus was killed on the cross. I witnessed it. Well, thank you for that report, Peter. That is the end of our segment here oh, on oh, Fish. Whoa, 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 no, no, no. No, that's not the end, actually. But Jesus is dead, and that's the big story. Jesus was dead. You see, three days after, Jesus rose from the grave and he in fact he walked for 40 days on this earth after being killed on the cross and 40 days he was around here and then he went to heaven it was the most amazing thing jesus didn't stay dead he rose from the grave wow now that really is the biggest story in the entire universe oh my goodness jesus must really be the son of god oh Yes. Jesus, the one true son, his time on earth is never done. If you believe in him, he will forgive all your sins. Natalie Grant, also a singer on top of a rapper. Give me a call. Let's work together. Let's put out a new album. Oh, boy. Well... While I can say those lyrics were true, those tunes uh, were terrible. Anyways, thank you so much. This is Fish News, and uh, we are wrapping things up for our stories today. Thank you for tuning in, and we will see you again next week here on the Fish Network live in Jerusalem. Am I a celebrity now? All right. It's, it's, it's over. Is the it's camera? Done. The camera the camera's off. I'm going to be famous now, right? Uh uh, famous, yes, but maybe not in all the Maybe I'll write ways. some memoirs.